Well, good morning once again. Uh, excited to be here. If you want to go ahead and turn with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and read it together. But I just want to catch us up on where we're at so far in our series during this Christmas time. And uh, really what we've seen so far in four weeks is what we've been doing. It's four weeks so far, and this will be the fifth. Uh, we've seen that Christ's redemptive plan uh, was the plan of God from the foundation of the world. There was no plan B through Z, that that was the plan of God, that He knew that men would be sinful and fallen, and then that He uh, planned for Christ to be the Redeemer of the world before He even created it. Before He said, let there be, uh, He had already planned for Christ to step out of heaven to be this infant so that He could live the life we couldn't and die the death we deserved. And we saw that in the first week, and then uh, the week after that, we looked at the fact that Christ was promised in the darkest moment in human history, and that was the moment in which Adam and Eve took of the fruit, and in doing that, they rebelled and turned against God and sinned against Him. And, and, and in their rebellion, they imputed sin, that sin went into the whole world. The whole world was cursed because of Adam and Eve's sinfulness and rebellion against God. Therefore, all of creation has been marred, and, and it is uh, not as the way that He intended it to be in the beginning. And then the week after that, we looked at Christ was promised to Abraham. And that Christ is the promise to the covenant in which God made with Abraham and that he would be the fulfillment of it. That he would be the one that would fulfill it as Abraham was put to sleep and these two items passed through the torn up pieces of animals. That this was a significant moment in which God was saying, I am going to fulfill this promise I have made to you. And we saw that in the birth of Christ. And then last week. We looked at the fact that Christ was promised to David, that he was the promise, uh, the fulfillment of the covenant which God made with David. And because of that, Christ is the eternal king, the true king, the king that would last and reign on the throne of David forever and forevermore. And then this morning, as we move just a little bit closer to the birth of our Savior that we're going to be looking at next week, uh, as we get just a little bit closer, we're really going to be looking at this, this moment in which Christ was promised to Mary. Now, I know that, that Jesus, the birth of Christ, was promised to Mary and Joseph. Uh, and, I, and I debated on addressing both uh, of those stories, but really it's just too much information to do in one sermon. So we're going to be looking at the promise in which God made to Mary. And remember that he makes the same promise to Joseph, but it was slightly different because Joseph, finding out that his uh, engaged, uh, uh, I guess, uh, fiance, we'll call her that, that his fiance uh, was pregnant, uh, didn't believe that uh, it was his because they had never had any relations. And so that he was uh, a just man, was going to decide to, to dismiss and to leave her quietly so it would not bring shame to her. And then the angel reveals himself to Joseph. And in doing so, he tells him that this was the work of God, not a work of another individual, and that you should stay with him and name your son Jesus. Now, that's the story of Joseph. But this morning, as you stand with me, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, 26 through 30. And we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. And it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greetings this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be a great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called uh, barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Dear God, this is your word and we thank you for it. God, we thank you for the power of your word. It is true and living. It is all powerful, God, because it is from you. And this morning, as we have opened your word, we've read it. And God, as we're going to go into a moment of explanation of it, God, take me, hide me behind your word. Hide me behind your truth. God, let the words that flow from my mouth be the words that you would have, God, that represent your word truly. And God, where I err and where I fault, God, I pray and ask for forgiveness beforehand. And God, as we listen to your word being preached and explained, Father, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open up every part of ourselves, God, so that we can receive it in the way that you intend for us to. God, I pray that if there's any here that doesn't know you, God, that you would lead them to yourself this morning. In your son's perfect and holy name. Amen. This morning, as I said, we're continuing through this idea of Christ being promised, that Christ was promised all throughout human history. And this, this is the truth of the matter is that this wasn't just a moment or a random action of Christ's birth. This was the plan from the very, very beginning of the foundation of the world and that throughout human history, God gives glimpses of the Christ that was to come and a promise here and a promise there of the Redeemer that was to come. But this morning we see that it's almost here that the promise of the Messiah is given to the Messiah's earthly mother. And in doing so, we're going to be looking at this topic. And I'm going to say this word, and it's this hyperstatic union. Now, it sounds like a really, really fancy word, and it really is. It's just a theological word that means that Christ was completely man and completely God. That He was 100% man and 100% God. Now, this is, there's a mystery here of how this is possible. We, we cannot wrap our minds around this perfectly or understand it completely. Uh, and it's because we aren't God, and we aren't all understanding and all knowing. But Christ is completely God and completely man. And that's what we call the hyperstatic union. Um, and the reason why this is going to be so important is that if Christ was not completely God and completely man, then we would have no hope in this life. If Christ wasn't completely God and completely man, there would be no salvation of our sins. He has to be both. There can be no other way than Christ to be completely God and completely man. So much so that this is a deciding factor to be a Christian. That if we say that we don't believe that Christ is completely God and completely man, then we really do not fall in the category of a Christian denomination and a Christian, uh, Christian orient. orient. Uh, and so it's so important that we understand this morning and why this is so important for us. And we're going to walk through some scriptures that explain it to us. But we're going to first and foremost, we're going to see this in Luke chapter one. 
And as we walk through it, I want to walk through the whole text as I always do. And then I want to come back to the the key point afterwards. But Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 uh, through 27, it says, In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, and to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We see this two things that I just want to kind of point out is that when we read this, uh, we, we, we go ahead and we naturally assume that it says in the sixth month, meaning the sixth month of the year. And it's really not, that's not what's going on here. It's not talking about the sixth month of the year, but rather the sixth month of Elizabeth's, birth, uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so this is the sixth month of her, her relative's pregnancy. And it's the sixth month that in, in this Gabriel, this angel of the Lord is coming to Mary in this sixth month. And is going to talk to Mary as we're going to see, and as we've already read about the birth of Christ, about the birth of the Messiah, about the, her being pregnant to, uh, of God for the birth of Christ. And so this, this angel named Gabriel is coming to Mary on the sixth month of uh, Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy, and he's going to reveal this to her. Now, this woman is a virgin. It says it here, and we're also going to see her explanation of that as well. And that's the key thing this morning is that Mary is a virgin, and it's why it's so significant. We're going to see as we walk through this. But then when you get to 28 through 33... It says, and he came and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, that the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern of what greetings this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be the great, and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him to your th- to the throne his father David, and he will reign over his, the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Now, let's kind of get into the context of what's going on. It says, angel comes and reveals himself, uh, an angel of the Lord reveals himself to this, this uh, young woman named Mary, and her response is natural. Her response is to be troubled. Her response is to be afraid. To, to not, not know what's going on here. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that throughout even the New Testament. When an angel of the Lord appears himself to the individual, they respond by, first and foremost, by being afraid, or by secondly, bowing down and worshiping the angel. And then the, the angel telling them to stand for you are on holy ground and it's not of me. And so we see this throughout all human history is that when an angel appears, there's this 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 worry, this fear that comes out because this angel represents the Most High God. And this angel comes to Mary and he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor in God. That he has to reassure Mary before he can go into telling Mary what, what God is about to do in her life. That he has to reassure that, that God has found favor in you, Mary. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. You're, I'm not here to harm you. But I am here to show God's favor upon your life. And we really see this. We see that God would favor an individual to have this woman carry his own son for nine months and to birth him. So this favor of the Lord is on Mary. And then this angel, the, the true message we see is you will conceive in your womb and his name will be Jesus. That Mary, is, this angel is telling Mary, look, you're going to bear a son and you're going to bear the son and you're going to name him Jesus. And he will be the son of the most high, that he will be the son of God. He will be the true king of David's throne and he will reign over Jacob forever and forevermore. And he's just coming and he says, Mary, you, you're going to bear the son and he's going to be God himself in flesh. 
And Mary responds naturally. Now, when we look at this, we really uh, we we think that Mary may be responding with rejection, uh, much like uh, John the Baptist's father did in doubting God, because he doubted that he could God could provide a son for her, his wife Elizabeth, because of how old she was. But Mary doesn't respond this way. Mary says to the angel. How will it be since I am virgin? She is generally inquiring about this response of the angel. She's curious of how this is even possible. Mary understood how this happens. Mary understood how reproduction happens. And she's saying, look, I don't know how I'm going to bear a son because I have never been with a man. And then the angel answered her, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child will be born and called Holy, the Son of God. The, the, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her, and God, in His miraculous ability, His sovereignty, His all-knowing, all-powerfulness, was going to cause her to be, to be uh, to, a son to be in her womb. And in doing so, it was the work of God in the woman that, that God is working this out. There was no outside man that came in and, 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 and caused this to happen. It wasn't the seed of a man, but it was the seed of God that, that God was the one that caused this to happen in Mary's womb. Just like God was the one that caused her, her relative Elizabeth to be that was barren for all of her years and was even to the point of old age that she was able to bear a son that as God calls that to be able to happen that in this moment God causes it to happen without the seed of a man. And that's going to be so significant. That's the, the, the key to this whole sermon is the fact that Mary was a virgin. The, the key to the Christian reality, religion is the fact that Mary was a virgin. And that is where our hope is going to lie this morning because that means that Christ was not completely man, but He was completely man and completely God because God did a work in Mary to make this possible. And so as we move through the next part, it's 36 through 38. It says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in old age has also conceived a son, and in the sixth month with her who was called barren. See, this is where we get this idea of the sixth month of, of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy, because this is what's going on, that in her sixth month of this pregnancy is when the angel comes to Mary and says, For nothing is impossible of God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let there be, uh, let it be to me according to your word and the angel disappeared from her i want to focus on verse 37 though it says for nothing will be impossible with god that there's nothing impossible to god god is all sovereign all knowing all ability god is the complete ruler of this universe he can do as he pleases, and he does as he pleases. that god is in control of all things and in this we see there's nothing outside of his ability that he can take a woman that has never been with a man and cause her to bear a son because he is god just as he takes a woman that is old and barren and causes her to have a child, he's the same God that parts the Red Seas. He's the same God that delivers the Israelites. He's the same God that, that does all of these miraculous things of the Old and New Testament, that heals the blind, that heals the lame, that raises Christ from the dead. This is the same God here that is causing this work in the life of Mary. And God is in control and there is nothing impossible for Him. That is a beautiful truth for us. That there is nothing impossible with our God. That our God is mightier and greater than anything we will ever face in this world. And so when we read this text, it's important that we know that there's nothing impossible of God. Thus, He is the one that is going to cause this child to be born of Mary. 
And that's so significant for us. And just a small little thing here. Um, I don't know if everybody realizes this, but if you read this text correctly, you see that somehow, some way, Jesus is kin to John the Baptist, that he is kin to the forerunner of his ministry. And that's a beautiful picture in and of itself. But I want to focus mainly on this fact that Mary was a virgin. This is where it all lies. This is where the, the truth of the matter lies. It is so important. We see that in that in Romans 5.12. We're going to read that. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. When you read this, you see that through one man, Adam and Eve, it's this darkest moment, as I mentioned in the very opening of the sermon, that this darkest moment in human history, sin went into the whole world. That everyone that was ever born was born into sin because of the work of Adam and Eve. That they are our representatives in the garden, and we would have done the same thing they did, possibly even quicker. And so what we see in this is that Adam and Eve is our representative, and because they're our representative, they have brought sin into the world. But as you read on through, through Romans, I don't have the verse with me, but when you read through Romans, you also see that just as we see it here, it's just death, death come into the world through one man. And then what we're going to see through Romans is the fact that righteousness has to come through one man as well. The righteousness has to come through a man. Salvation of the world had to come through a man. It had to come through an individual that was born of this earth, that had all a apparent opportunity to sin and to rebel, but did not. And we're going to look through all this, but we see that this is so important because Christ being born to the virgin through the power of God, we see this, this idea of the hyperstatic union, this idea of Christ being completely man and completely God. That Christ not having an earthly father, he is completely God in nature, but because he was born of the woman, he is completely man in nature as well. And we, we see this lived out in His ministry several, several places. We see this idea of Christ's humanity, of His, his, his weeping, his, his hurting, His sorrow, even the idea of sweating bloods before He went to the cross. We see this so many places. We definitely see His divinity so many places. But the one that is more, that's, that's my favorite one, is found in John 4, 4 through 6. And then 25 through 29, and this is the account of the woman at the well. This is the account, we preached through this this year, and this is the account where Christ is going to Samaria and he stops at this well. But when you read John 4, 4 through 6, we see why he stops at the well. It says, and he said, passing through Samaria, so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob that had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That in this scripture, what we see is that Christ wearied. He was tired. He was thirsty from the journey that he had just made. His humanity is on display here. That Christ, even though he was completely God, and we're going to see that in just a moment, though he was completely God, got tired and got weary on this earth. That this humanity is shown in this and it's shown in so many other places. But this is just my favorite because it shows Christ getting tired as he was doing ministry. It shows Christ getting tired as he was traveling. But we also see in John chapter 4, 25 through 29, this is the end of the encounter after Christ has had this conversation with the woman and called in adultery. It says the woman said to him, I know that a Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I have ever did. Can this be the Christ? Right before this, we say that he tells this woman that, that you, 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 you're, you've married four men and you're living with another. And right before this, we see that Christ is showing his great love to this woman at the well just to be there at the sixth hour of the day when he knew she would be there. That in this, we see that Christ is not only humanity and his weariness of stopping at the well, but when you really look at the history of this, many times the Jews would travel in the opposite direction not to go to Samaria, but Christ. Christ goes to Samaria so that he can meet this woman that is living in adultery and to save her soul. And in saving her soul, she goes to the town and brings the town to him. And then he saves them as well. That Christ, not only in his humanity, stops at the well, but in his divinity and in his sovereignty, he stops at the well to save this woman. And this is a beautiful picture of the completely God and completely man nature of Christ because he was tired, he was thirsty, and so he stopped. But he also stops because he was the divine, heavenly Son of God that knew this woman would be waiting for him there. And it's a beautiful thing. But just like that, just like these two natures in Christ is our hope lies. That's where our hope is. Hebrews 5 7 through 10, and then Hebrews 7, 25 and 26 says this. In the days of the flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with a loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Consequently, this is chapter 7, consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since he is always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that he should have a, such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. See, in this day and time, the high priest, what they would do is that they would, when they went to make the sacrifice for humanity and for those around them, they would have to first make a sacrifice for themselves. And then in that, they would then make sacrifices for the people. And they would have to do that time and time and time again because the high priest was sinful. But Christ being the perfect Son of God, Christ being God Himself taking on flesh, He lived on this earth. He was man and completely man. But because He was completely man, He was also completely God. And because He was completely God, He did not sin. It says that in this, it says the holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, that Christ, our heavenly, the heavenly Son of God, is completely pure. He is sin-free. He is perfect. He is holy. He is perfect. He is holy because He was completely man. He lived on this life. He went through what we went through. We have a high priest that can, that can understand and to recognize what we're going through. But we have a high priest that has not sinned or has not rebelled and has not turned away. And because of that, He was the pure Lamb of God that would make sacrifices for those that would receive Him in repentance. And that's where our hope lies, is that he was born of the virgin, because if he would have been born any other way, he would have been just another man that would have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because he was born of the virgin, because he's completely God and completely man, he is the perfect son of God that has brought redemption 
to us, to all that would believe and repent and trust in Him for their salvation. This is the hyperstatic union. It's a very simple but very confusing thing. There's some mystery here of how God fulfills this, how God makes this even happen. But in all reality, sometimes a mystery is a good thing. Sometimes we settle at mysteries to understand the gracious love of God on display for us. And in this we see exactly that. We may not understand how God could cause a man to be completely God and completely man by giving the birth to a virgin. But what we do know is that is where our hope lies. That Christ was completely man, completely God, and is completely man and completely God because He was born of the Virgin through the power of God. And in that we have hope, in that we have trust in Him, in that we can repent and believe, in that His sacrifice is sufficient. So when we look at all of this, we reflect on the birth of our Lord and Savior. We reflect on the fact that He was born to the Virgin and the significance of that. And because he was the born that was born of the virgin, the completely God, completely man individual, what we see is that he is the one that would stomp the head of the serpent that we see in Genesis 3. We see that he is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that would be the one that would, that would be the one that would have an offspring that would last forever and forevermore. That he is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the king that would reign forever and forevermore because he would not sin and rebel and fall off of the throne. Because of this, we see that Christ is the one that will last and reign forever and forevermore. So in this we find great joy this morning as we reflect on it, first and foremost, that Christ is our hope of salvation. There is no other way of salvation. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot look any other way. There is no other religion that can save or redeem us. That there is only way of salvation is Christ Jesus. And the only way of salvation is repenting and believing in the work that He has done for us and understanding that we can't save ourselves, but we can only believe and trust in Him. And then not only do we respond by hoping in Him, and many of us have, many of us have hoped and trusted and believed in Christ for salvation, but we also have to understand those little words that Gabriel told Mary whenever he was talking about her relative Elizabeth. Nothing is impossible to God. That God is the God that causes the birth of a virgin to be the Redeemer of the world. And not only is He that God, but He's the God that does all the miraculous things that we see in the Old and New Testament. These are not parables. These are not things that may or could have happened. These are things that are actually history of humanity. And in that we see nothing is impossible of God. Oh, how beautiful that is for us. There's, there's nothing in this world that we will face that is bigger than our Savior. There's nothing in this world that will be scarier or more, or more terrifying than the God that we serve. He is the biggest, the baddest of them all, and He will bring those to Himself. And now He's bringing those to Himself. He will do what is good for His children. And doing good for His children is a miraculous thing. Sometimes it doesn't look like we want it to. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't act or feel like we think it should. But we should know that nothing is impossible of God, and He is working all things out for His glory and the good of those who love Him. And then not only do we see that, we see that God is the miraculous enabled the virgin to bear a son is the God we serve. That this is the God we serve. We serve a God that goes through all links to save his children. Even so much so that he would step out of heaven himself, take on flesh, live a perfect and holy life, die a death that we deserve that he never deserved, raising again and conquering all and then calling individuals to himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And in that we serve this God, we trust in this God, we hope in this God. He is the one that we serve and he is greater and more mighty than any other ruler of this earth has ever, could ever or will ever be. So this is the God we serve and how great joy that is. So we come for this last song. I want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now. We thank you for this day. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the virgin birth. Though we may not understand it, though it may not be comprehensible at times, God, it's something we find in mystery and we hope in. Because, God, that is where our hope lies. Because if it would have been, Christ would have been born any other way, Father, he would have been completely man. But because of this, God, we see that you provided a Savior for us that could not only live in this world, but live in this world perfectly so that he could die for us. God, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We glorify you for that because that is our hope in life and death. That is our hope in everything we face in this life. And God, we thank you that you are the God we serve, a God that is greater than anything else. And God, I pray this morning as we've reflected and heard your word, God, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to the things that you would have for us to take away from here this morning and apply them. God, let this message not stop here. God, let us trust in you each and every day. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you. In your son's holy name, amen.